All right, would you join me in prayer? Bow your head. Heavenly Father, we did not call this meeting. You did. And that means that, you know, we have our own purpose for being here. And you know everyone. You have a purpose for us being here. Some of that we know because you tell us in your words. Some of it we don't know. So Lord, as we get ready to turn our attention to you, by hearing you, hearing you in, in the Bible, in your word, uh, Lord, I pray, would you open up our hearts and our minds? Lord, I'm sure that everybody that's here today, I know everybody's looking for life. I know it. I am. And so I, I pray that you would grant it. Give us life and bring us alive as you talk to us. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome you've come to a meeting. Doesn't that sound great? Welcome to a meeting. Everybody knows there's different kinds of meetings, right? Um, you know, when, I, um, when my wife and I went on our very first date, uh, it was kind of a, a strange twist of events. She called me on the phone. I think I've shared this story before. She called me on the phone, and she, she called me thinking that I, she didn't realize there's a difference between man brain and woman brain. We were young. It was okay. She called me like I was, like I had a woman brain. And here's what I mean by that. She called me and she had never called me before. And I don't, okay, so all the ladies here, if you don't know what man brain is, especially young ladies, pay attention right now, okay? Man, man brain, we have, there's a series of boxes that we have in our brain. And once we're in one box, that is the only thing we can think about is what's in that box. If you want us to think about something in another box, you're going to have to help us out of that box. Tell us what box you want us to get into, and then we can get in there. Now, for some reason, God has made, it's a great miracle that a woman's brain is not a box. It's an interconnected world of tunnels, right? So for my wife, when she, I mean, she assumed that I could just reach and grab a hold of anything. So she called me on the phone, and what she didn't realize is when she called me on the phone, I'm in the who would call me on the phone box. She said, this is Jenny. And in my mind, I'm looking around the box of all the Jennies that would call me on the phone. It was a popular name in the 90s. I'm sorry, I'm listening to the voice, I'm hearing the voice, and I'm trying to match the voice to one of the Jennies. No, I don't think so. After, you know, after a, a number of minutes and to her mortification, finally I realized I got into the right box and I realized who she was and I said, well, do you want to meet? Now, what was I asking her for when I said, do you want to meet? You know, was I going to show up with a PowerPoint presentation and we we're going to talk through, you know, how we can really efficiently increase sales? Ever been part of that meeting? Uh, a meeting of a different kind. Today we're going to start a series um, praying through the Psalms. And you know when you go to prayer, you're going to a meeting. Did you know that? You need to meet with God. And what I mean by that is he has things he's, going to, he's meeting with you about. There are some things on his agenda. But don't you have some things on yours? Aren't there, aren't there things on your list that you're like, I, I need to meet with God. Where can I go meet with him? 
And I, I want to tell you today, I want to encourage you today, that even though it's not easy, meeting with God's not easy, it's also not complicated. Today I want to show you and I want to, I want to talk to you um, about how important it is to meet with God and the place that we can meet with God. Did you know that you can meet, you can meet with God anytime you want to? You can hear God talk to you anytime you want to. Every time you open up the Bible, this is God talking to you. This is an opportunity for you to meet with God. Man, I can't, I can't wait to dig in and talk to you about how that's true. And we're going to do that by looking at the 119th Psalm. Um, we're not going to read the entire thing. It's, uh, it's a long psalm, but I'm going to ask you to take out your copy of God's Word, Psalm 119, and I'm going to ask that we stand to our feet. When you meet a great king, it's always, you know, it's, it's a good decorum to stand to your feet and show honor and respect. Psalm 119, I'm going to start at verse uh, 1, and I'm going to read through verse 16. If you have a Bible like mine, Psalm 119 is a beautiful piece of literature. I mean, a it's inspired by God and written with the human pen of David, and it's written beautifully. Uh, eight verses for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first eight verses are presided over by the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We don't see it because it's in English, but in Hebrew, every one of these stanzas would have begun with a word that starts with the letter Aleph. The second eight verses, every word of that would start with the uh, letter Beth. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Lord, let that be true. I, I pray that your word, today, right now it's going to get scattered. And I pray that none of us would be like the road where the seeds just sat there on the hard pavement, the birds came and took them, and it was like they never even came. Don't let that happen to us today. I pray that what would happen is your Holy Spirit would soften the ground of our hearts and our minds, and the sun of your glory would come warm it so that the seed of your word finds the perfect place to land so that the roots go down and it grows up over time. Lord, I pray that in 15 years, some of these words right here would be making a difference in our lives. You're the only one who can make that grow. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You could have a seat. Now, we don't exactly live in a day and age where if I ask somebody, 
Um, what do you think about the Bible? If I ask somebody, you know, what do you think about the Bible? Especially the commands and the laws and the statutes and the precepts. You know, how do, when I say the word command, how do you feel on the inside? Do people feel warm to being commanded in our day and age? You know? You know, a common thing within our, within our own culture right now, one of the great difficulties that people have with Christianity, especially a Christianity that believes in an authoritative Bible, is we just feel like if, if the Bible is like concrete to us, if you can't wiggle or negotiate any of the commands or any of the precepts, if we can't have a dialogue, if it can't become a story to me with hundreds of interpretations, if I can't, you know, if, if, if I can't talk to the Bible, take the parts I like and not, it seems that it would be like a prison. Concrete walls, solid, unbreakable paths. And, and we live in a day and age where we, our, our, in, our sort of common understanding would be, if you give me an authoritative Bible, that authoritative Bible is going to hold me down and it's going to limit me from being all that I can possibly be. But is that the way it is? I mean, in, in verse one, we, you know, we, just, we, we come into this truth right at the very beginning of the Bible or right at the beginning of this chapter. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Now that word blessed, um, you know, it depends. It, if you grew up in the South, I didn't, I didn't really realize this until I spent just a little bit of time there. If you grew up in the South, actually when someone says bless your heart, they're actually kind of poking fun at you, you know? Well, bless your heart, aren't you an idiot? Isn't that what that means? <laughs> uh, or sometimes people use the word blessed as a defense mechanism. Hey, how are you doing today? They don't want to tell you. They go, I'm blessed. And I'm, sometimes I'm not even really sure, okay, what do I do with that? What does that mean? I'm blessed. What, is, what, is the word, what does it mean to be blessed in a biblical way? You know, the, the word blessed is a difficult word to translate. Some, sometimes it gets translated as happy. Um, you know, in our day and age, that word happy, doesn't that sound so thin? But to be blessed is to be rewarded. To be blessed is to be rewarded. To be blessed is to be rewarded by God. And really, everybody, you know, nobody walks in here to a church service ever wanting the opposite of that. Everybody has a, a goal that they're looking at. This, this is the thing that if I could just get my hands on that, then I would be happy, fulfilled. I would have peace, security, comfort, joy, pleasure. All the things that we can't stop wanting, even if we wanted to stop wanting them, we can't. Everybody is looking for a reward. And all of us are making a decision. What is the greatest reward and who's going to give it to you? Where can you get that? Now, I mean, even if you just think this out logically, what's, what is the greatest reward a person could ever get? And who could give it? Well, I mean, if we were to ask the question, who could give the greatest reward that could ever be given, there's a few things that would have to be true. Number one, the person giving the greatest reward would have to have an ultimate wealth, an ultimate ability to give you something that is so rewarding that nobody else could match it. Let's see now. Who has so much resources 
that if they gave you their blessing, it, mathematically you could add up the dollar value of it. And you go, there, actually there's nothing better in the world than what I can get from that person. Who's the ultimate blesser? And the answer to that biblically is God. So the Bible tells us you can either seek a blessing from the greatest blesser that there is, or you can pick a second place. Now, what's the greatest thing? What would be that since God is the ultimate blesser, nobody is richer than him. Nobody could give anything better than he could give. If God is the ultimate giver, the giver of gifts of such superiority, it's not even close. What's the greatest thing that the ultimate giver could ever give to you? You think about it, like, well, he could pay off my student loans. That would be a great gift. Um, that new Tesla truck thing that they're driving around, I'd take one of those. Yeah. Um, for your marriage to get fixed up. For your kid that's wandered off the path. Your health. I mean, you start adding up the list of things that, that the richest blesser in the entire universe, the, the things that he could give, you start adding that list up. And that list can get really big. Anybody here, don't raise your hand, okay? Anybody here single and been single for a long time and you've been praying for somebody and they haven't come yet? And if God would just give you that? See, because if I joke about like paying off your student loans or a Tesla, everybody could snicker at that because that's dumb, right? Yes. They say, well, it's not totally dumb. That's the Tesla, okay? But you don't understand what I'm saying. But there's some other things that start to get much closer. They get much more difficult to say, is there something better than that? What's the greatest thing that the greatest blesser the greatest rewarder could ever give to you. It would have to be the richest, greatest thing in all of existence. And what's that? It's him. Psalm 119 starts out with the ultimate binary. Either that's true or it's not true. Either God exists, and he does. Either God exists, and he does. And for him to really pour out his blessing in your life, for him to reward you and to reward you ultimately, that would either be him giving you himself, or if that's not true, then just find the, the, you know, find the biggest house on the island of Hawaii and you know, go remote work and snorkel for the rest of your life and you know, do that. But one of, one of those is true and one of those is not true. And a Christian is a person who has come into a whole new way of thinking about themselves, thinking about God, and thinking about life. The greatest reward that God could ever give to anybody, the richest thing for you to ever have in your life, is for him to give you some of him. That's blessed. Now how could that happen? Because whose way here is blameless? Is there anybody here who every, every morning that you woke up up to, you know, however old you are today, 16, 76, 
you'd say, every day the only thing I've ever done is gotten up and walked in the law of the Lord. Can you see how we're not even past verse 1 in Psalm 119 and we're cooked? There's nothing that you should want more than for God to give you some of himself. Nothing better. And there's only one way to get it, which is walking blamelessly according to his law. Well, who's ever done that? Now, the opening chapters of the Bible begin with a man. His name is famous throughout human history. His name is Adam. And if, we've, if you've been with us as we've been going through the Genesis series, I, you know, I think I've tried to be as clear as I can. Adam was a real man, a historical figure. He's not a mythological person. And there was a time in his life, we don't know for how long it was, but there was a time in his life where he didn't sin. He's the only human being outside of Jesus Christ, the divine man. Adam is the only human being who has ever walked around on the same planet that we walk around in and experienced the blessedness of God because he walked in the way of the Lord and he didn't sin. Now this happened in a very special place in the opening chapters of Genesis. The Bible tells us that God, after he created the world, he set about to create an image of himself. He's going to make a man. And he, played, he made that man in the land of Eden. So he took the dust and the ground of the land of Eden and he formed a man out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils. And then from the land of Eden, God picked him up and placed him up on a mountain garden. When he placed him on that mountain garden, he's the one who then caused all kinds of trees to grow up. So that the environment that Adam in was beautifully, perfectly cultivated by God. Not just wild and tropical, but beautifully cultivated. And we know that it was a mountain garden because out of that mountain, four rivers flowed out of it. And those rivers would need to flow downhill. And God and Adam had meetings there. You ever thought about what that was like? Because I, th- I think a picture like that is the only way to start adding up, putting two and two together here of what David's saying. How can precepts and commands and statutes and laws, how can they be a delight? How can they keep them up at night? Oh, I was meditating about your testimonies. And God and Adam in the garden. And think about all the testimonies that God had for Adam. After all, the opening verses of, of Genesis are either written by two, there's only two people who could have wrote those opening words. Either God wrote the opening words of Genesis himself in the same way that he wrote the, the Ten Commandments, Either he wrote them himself and what we have in the Bible, the very opening chapters is the writing of God, either that's true or Adam wrote it. You know, at one point, you know, who else would know that God, that at the very beginning, the very first thing that God said was, let there be light. Who would know that? Who could give testimony to that event? Or 
Or who could have told Adam precisely how he was made, where he was made? Oh, you were made in Eden, and you were made out of the dust of the ground. And okay, and you want to know how did dirt start breathing? I breathe my very breath into you. Who would have had that eyewitness testimony to give Adam? Do you think that that, remembering that testimony that God gave him about how God made him, do you think that was a delight to Adam? You ever think he woke up at night thinking about that? Oh, what was that like? Didn't God give Adam all kinds of commands? Some wonderful commands. He told Adam and his wife Eve, go have dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Now, if sin hadn't entered the garden, I sometimes wonder, what would it have meant for Adam to have dominion over the fish of the sea? Could he have rode on dolphins? What would it have meant for Adam to have dominion over the birds of the air? Sometimes if we, if we think loosely about the opening chapters of Genesis because we know that sin is coming, we don't hang there long enough to ask ourselves the question, what, what a wonder it was. And how did Adam know God? Now sometimes people think that in, in the opening chapters of Genesis that God is a person and he came and walked with Adam. But that's not true. And we know that because Paul tells us in Timothy No one's ever seen God and no one can see God. Well, how did Adam, how did God talk to Adam then? How did Adam know God? He heard him. In the opening chapters, if you go back through chapters one and chapter two, the thing that God is doing for Adam is he's talking to him. I'm talking to you. Even after Adam had fallen and sinned, the thing that he heard when God came and um, walked with him in the, in the cool of the day when God came, it says that Adam heard God in the garden. And so you and I and Adam are in the same place. Adam didn't see God and you haven't seen God. Adam heard God. He heard the words of God. And I just read you this morning 16 verses of the word of God. Because the Bible tells us that faith comes by, not by seeing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we've been going through the book of Genesis, one of the accounts that we've been in recently was the story of Isaac. Isaac is the father of Jacob and Esau. And then we, you know, a, a few weeks back, we looked at the time that Jacob righteously deceived his father Isaac because his father Isaac and his brother Esau were trying to steal the blessing that God rightfully had for him that he had purchased rightfully and lawfully. And as we went through the account of the time that Jacob righteously deceived his father Isaac, all through that account, one of the things that it tells us in a clue very early on in that one, you know, he, he's, he's going to deceive his, his father with the help of his mother, and it's a righteous thing for him to do. And so he dresses up and impersonates his brother. His, his mom helps him to make food so that the food tastes exactly like the way his brother cooks. So, his, you know, his dad's using the senses of taste. Okay, yeah, it tastes right. 
and he you know, puts some hair, some uh, goat fur on his arm and his dad touches his arm because he's blind. He goes, yeah, that, okay, that feels right. So he's using his taste sense and he's using his touch sense and those, that seems right. But in a pivotal moment in that whole account, Isaac says to himself, everything about this situation is Esau except the voice. That voice is Jacob's voice. Now if I had asked you, this is a terrible experiment, we're going to do it for a minute, okay? If you had to pick, you were going to lose one of your senses. You were either going to lose the sense of sight or the sense of hearing. One of those two. I don't want you to say anything out loud, I just want you to think about it. Which one would you pick? Which one would you pick? I'd pick, I'd pick hearing. Because to me, the eyes. But I would be picking wrongly. Because in the Bible, you can know something and know a person much more by hearing them than by seeing them. In fact, David, who wrote this psalm, Bible says that God, God chose him, chose him from all his brothers, and all his brothers looked like much more promising choices. But the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Can you see a person's heart? Right? The Bible teaches us man looks on outward appearance. Does outward appearance help us to know the character of the people who we're locking eyes with? Does the outward appearance help us? The Bible says no. There's not a whole lot that you can learn about someone by looking at them. But what if you want to know about their heart? How do you find out about what's going on in the spiritual part of someone when you can't see it? What does the Bible tell us about that? How can you learn about that? Well, doesn't the Bible tell us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? And when we open up the Bible, verse after verse, Paul tells us in Timothy, no one's ever seen God. He dwells in inapproachable light. No one can see, no one ever has seen him, and no one will. No one can. But do you want to know his heart? Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. Every time you open up your Bible, you have the opportunity to hear, to receive. For God to give you some of himself by talking to you. It's God's word. But it's not automatic. Now I have to tell you that, you know, the, I think one of the things that you understand if you've been around here for a while and if you're new here, I, I just want to help you with this. One of the things that we believe about the Bible is that, I mean, the Bible is ultimate supreme. The Bible is, this is the book of a king. That's one of the reasons why a bunch of those words sounded unfamiliar to us. Like, it, it doesn't say, you know, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who have found the life hack out of the Bible, or who've seen a hot take from Scripture. 
Did you notice when we were reading through this, some of these words are foreign? When's the last time you heard the word statute? Right, that we don't, you know, last time I was in court for my, a traffic ticket was the last time you heard that. Um, when's the last time you used the word precept? Precept, statutes, commands, laws. It tells you that this book is a book from a king, an omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing king. It's unwiggleable. You can't get out of one bit of it. Scripture says not one of these words is going to pass away. So that means when you open up the Bible, there is not one word that's dispensable. Jesus said that not one jot or tittle of the Bible. He he said, I didn't come to move one jot or tittle. When's the last time you used the word jot and tittle in a sentence? Now a jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. You can't take one word out. You can't take one letter out. Every letter of the Bible, you don't fool with it. You know what a tittle is? Um, in, in Hebrew, the, the Hebrew writing is made up of a, kind of like a series of strokes, sometimes a dash and sometimes a dot. A tittle is not even a complete letter. A tittle is one of the little dash strokes that makes up a component part of a, do you see what the Bible's getting at? every little pen stroke that comprises the Bible is authoritative. You can't can't argue with a comma in the Bible. And there's some people in our day and age, I think especially, who are like, you know what I really want? I want a church that preaches the Bible. And I want, I want to go to a church where people are lugging big Bibles into the building. I want to see them with a huge thing like this. Uh, and there's, there's a way of being like, I love the word. There's a way of doing this that's wrong. Especially if you're like, well, I love the leather. I love the gold on the outside of it. I love the little ribbon page marker. I love the way it sounds, you know. Well, just listen to that. They're like, oh, I love the sound of that, Right? Um, there's a way to love the Bible. It's like, I love these commands. The commands and the precepts and the statutes. And all these people out here that are messing everything up, what they really need is some laws of the Bible in their lives. Yeah? Um, Jesus one time was talking to the Pharisees. And he said, you guys are, he said, you pour over the scriptures. They had huge study Bibles. They were getting into the original Hebrew languages. Is this pluperfect? What tense is this? We want to know. They were pouring over all of it. And Jesus said, you're missing it. a few different verses in Psalm 119 that we just went through that talked about remembering. God, I want to remember your law. And see, here's the problem. Once we have to deal with God by listening to him, now we're in a very vulnerable position. Um, Wives, let me talk to you for a second. Um, 
Do any of your husbands have something called selective hearing? Do you ever remember when you had little ones and it was like two o'clock in the morning and the baby was crying and he swore to you the next morning, he's like, I never heard it. You know? Parents, if you have kids and you told them three times to do their homework and one time that there was going to be ice cream at the end of the day, what did they remember? See, sometimes we think, oh, well, okay, if you open up the Bible and we're supposed to hear God and his word, well, that sounds like a very objective and neutral thing. Well, everybody can hear. and go, no, they can't. The Pharisees poured over the scriptures and they heard, I mean, they heard the details of it, but they didn't hear. And why didn't they hear? Remembering and holding on to words is a matter of the heart. You grab hold of and remember the words that are connected to the thing that you love. And words that are connected to things that you don't care about, you just go in one ear and out the other. Okay. Um, so if you were here last week, I was wearing tennis shoes and a coat. And I joked about that because I hated doing that. And I appreciate all of your grace about that. And the reason why I'm going through something with my back. So this last week I had to have an MRI. And um, I don't love confined spaces. So, <laughs> can I get an amen? And, you know, I, I don't know. I felt a little wimpy. I was like, I felt real nervous about going to get an MRI. I was like, I don't want to put my head in that tube. It's going to be terrible. Um, And so I was, I was talking to God about that. Me and him were having a meeting. Lord, I've got to, I, I, can't, I can't wiggle out of this. I've got to go do this. What am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do in there? Um, because the MRI machine is real. That you look in that little hole, that's, I mean, visually that thing is real. You're going to get in that thing. It's so loud. I mean, that whole, that whole experience is real. And then I, so I just wrote out, I was like, okay, but the Bible's filled with laws and precepts and commands. And when I'm in that little tube, the thing I need to hear, the thing I need to be more real to me than that little hole and then that loud machine noise or the results, the thing I need to be more real than that um, is the Lord. I need to be able to hear his voice in that situation. So I just pulled out my Bible and I scratched I put a little Bible verse on a note card and tucked it in my pocket. Jesus in John 14 said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. See how that's not just a word. That's not just a sentence. The very peace that Jesus had, he gave it to me. He said, not as the world gives do I give it to you. That's right, the world, when the world gives peace, it's either not enough for the situation. Because everybody told me, oh, don't worry about it, it's going to be fine. And I was like, how do you know? 
You're just a person. You have no idea what's going to happen in there. No, it's going to be fine. Tons of, see, all these things are worldly rationalizations. It's going to be great. Yeah, but how do you know the slider's not going to get stuck and they're going to hit the button and it's not, and I'm going to be in there. Wrinkled up like a raisin in 20 years, they're never going to give me out. Like, no, that's not going to happen. You don't know. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. And then I came smack dab into a statute. Do not let your heart be troubled. Now when the Bible says that, that's not an encouraging word. That's not a don't worry about it. Because the Bible's written by a king, that's a command. Don't let your heart be troubled. Now I had a choice. I'm either going to obey this Bible verse or I'm not. Am I going to let my heart be troubled? Or am I going to be in there and I'm going to think, he, oh man, he gave me his peace. He gave me his peace. The very peace that he had, he gave it to me. See, it's not just opening up the Bible and going, here, what are the commands and the precepts and the laws in big leather study Bibles, pouring over it. I know, I know the Greek. It's that right there. I needed to hide that in my heart. And you do too. Because who knows what tomorrow has? Do you know what tomorrow has? You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what next week holds. The one person does, God And then I was thinking about what. He told the disciples, peace I leave to you. And my peace I give to you. And I was meditating on that. That was a testimony. I was meditating on that. Man, what does that mean? Because there's only two people who ever walked blameless on our planet. One of them was Adam, for, Adam and Eve for a little while. And the second one was the Lord Jesus. Don't you remember how much peace he had? Until that night, remember that night? And he took his friends into the garden, into the mountain garden on the Mount of Olives. And he took his three closest friends and he told them, my soul is troubled. His peace was leaving him. Because his peace was the Holy Spirit. And he had agreed to take on human sin and suffer on the cross. And that sin began to be put on him in the garden. So that when he said, I'm troubled, he was losing his peace because the Spirit was leaving him. And then he went and prayed. He went and met with God. He met with him about his precepts and his commands and his statutes and his rules and his plan. And every jot and tittle of God's plan for Jesus of Nazareth 
not one letter. He said, I didn't come to abolish one of them. He let God's righteous laws, his plan, unfold. Even though it meant for him that he was going to lose the peace of God by losing the Holy Spirit, by going to the cross, by holding himself up there on the cross the entire time, separated from his relationship with the Father that he always had had from his relationship with the Spirit, he cried out, my God, my God. Why two times? My God the Father, my God the Spirit. Why? And he did that. And the, and the only reason why I could have the peace that he had is because he gave it to me at infinite cost. Now, can't you see why Psalm 119 says, God, I don't know enough of his word yet. And it's not enough for you to take one year and read Genesis to Revelation and go, I, yeah, I read it. I started at the beginning. I made it all the way to the end. I did it seven years ago. I'm good. No. Because when you open the Bible, if you've been granted the Holy Spirit, when you open a Bible, the Holy Spirit takes the words from the page and one person's reading like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's neat. And the other person with the Holy Spirit is reading it and God is speaking to them. Which one are you? The Pharisees poured over the scriptures and they missed them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you hear the Bible, do you hear God? There is no other blessing that is any more blessed, no reward greater, no reward greater. Crack your Bible open in the morning and you read one verse and you hear him. It's an amazing thing. I don't know how many people are here. Maybe five, six hundred people are here this morning. We just looked at the same verses. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, 500 people can walk out of here and like, oh, God said something special to me. Right out of his word. And never take it for granted. Would you stand? Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is, it, is so, it is so beautiful and powerful. It's hard not to worship it. Lord, keep us from trampling on it, from setting it off to the side, from treating it as unimportant. Oh, how, dis how disgraceful it is to take the word of God, the king, and set it off to the side as if like, it's a helpful reference sometimes. Lord, please don't, 
But Lord, it's also wrong to use the Bible to block ourselves from you. I pray that by the power of your spirit, would you help us to open the Bible and go into your word to meet with you personally. Because there's no greater reward than we can ever have than that. I pray this in Christ's name.